foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Hey there, welcome to the Katie Says Podcast. This is the ninth in a series of special episodes we call Between the Lines, where Katie Bowman and Stephanie Domet explore the deeper messages in and connections between Katie's books. I'm Katie Bowman, biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA. I'm Stephanie Domet, a chronically curious writer and radio journalist. So Katie, here in our hemisphere uh, in North America, where you and I both are right now, we're at the beginning of autumn, but you are soon to head to New Zealand and will arrive into spring. Uh, What's exciting to you about getting a second spring this year and what will you miss experiencing of autumn? I'm glad you asked me in that order. (laughs) (laughs) I have jam-packed fall as much as I could into the little bit of time that I am here. A lot of pumpkin. I have roasted a lot (laughs) of pumpkin. I harvested all my winter squash and I dried the measly subpar ears of corn that I was able to grow. So it's that. It is, you know what? I can feel my body slowing down. At the end of summer, I always look forward to the cooler winter, the way of walking, through fall, there's certain fall hikes that we take. So I'm gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss the fact that I'm on a natural rhythm that's going to get abruptly switched back over to ramping back up. And so my biggest concern, I mean, obviously I'm thrilled about the trip, but my biggest concern is last year instead of a Christmas tree, we got goji berry vines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. And we brought them into the house. I know. We, we wanted to get something that we could replant that was kind of different and fun to decorate, and that's what we did. 
But when we brought it into the house, they were already dormant. They had already gone dormant for the winter. Mm -hmm. So my brother-in-law, who is a, I don't know what it is, just an expert in all (laughs) plant things, he said, you're going to have to transition it back because it's already dormant. So when you bring it into your house and it's, you know, sitting in this warm home, it's going to think it's spring and it's going to start sending energy and it might even start budding, which one of them did towards the end. He said, you can't just put it back outside. You have to transition it back in stages so that it senses that winter has come back on. Because it doesn't have really a duration meter. It doesn't have a clock inside of it. It has a thermostat. So it's responding right. to the temperature signals. And so I am like that. Like people are like that. We're just, we're all, we have so many signals that are in tune with a biorhythm And obviously, they're adaptable and changeable. We travel between seasons abruptly all the time. But because I'm very aware of how my body works and when my body works and where I am in the natural cycle of things, I'm interested to see what my version of rebutting is. (laughs) Meaning, like, I've already already transitioned into some things. Like, I'm going to basically be... I'm going to have to pull up sources of energy that I've already let go. And though that plant that rebutted didn't fruit because it had Ah. taken that energy and displaced it to pushing off leaves that then fell off that had to then grow again so that it didn't have it. So it's going to mess me up for, you know, the year in in some capacity, there's going to be a pull of energy and you know and I have the luxury of offsetting it maybe with food or whatever but I also think it's more than just an energetic balance like I've I'm going to abruptly transition and who knows all the parts of my body that have come and gone to deal with seasons and I've never Mm -hmm. done this before so that is both what I'm looking forward to doing and what I am (laughs) reticent about it in a nutshell like that's that's what's on my mind is documenting it like observing it and documenting it and then also being it, you know, all three separate right. activities. So basically it's like a I will look forward to hearing the, about the other side for sure. What was my what was my my fruit loss? You know, it's like, oh, I would have been in yeah. that. So basically I'm gonna lose a book. I feel like basically I'm not gonna be able to do a book. I might be a subpar parent for six months. Who knows? Like I don't I don't know. Well maybe I'll muster. I mean you you operate at a pretty high level. You could probably you could probably take take it down by about fifteen percent. <laughs> I could probably lose a few. No fruits. one would really notice. Uh, just, just, yeah, I think so. All right, and you still come up, still come up. Then I feel probably. good about it. Then I totally feel good about it. <laughs> there Thanks. you go. Thanks for the reframe. Yeah, no problem. I can always be counted on for that. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting, of course, that the thing that that we would talk about in the context of this is about the natural world. That's that's where we always seem to to get to in our conversations. And for the next couple episodes of this podcast. We'll be talking about movement matters, essays on movement science, movement ecology, and the nature of movements, of movement rather. And of course, one of the key aspects of this book is nature. And so I thought we we ought to spend an entire episode really digging into why nature matters so much to what you're putting forward in this book. Okay? Okay. So Katie, when you began working on movement matters, did you have an idea of the intrinsic role that nature would play in the development and articulation of the ideas that you were planning to write about? Oh, no, no, that was a discovery. Like I did not sit down. I mean, I wrote Move Your DNA, you know, which was about natural movement, which had a certain amount of 
you know, naturey things in it. But I mean, I don't really feel particularly qualified to write about nature. You know, like it's not like nature. Ironically, ironically, I say ironically because hmm. science is supposed to be really like the pursuit of understanding nature. So when you have a training in a science that reduces nature as the context, that was the biggest revelation for me through writing this book. It's like, oh, yes, of course. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm even working with like, quote, natural laws. But the examples that you're dealing with are outside of that, what we've given the word nature to. So, so no, it was a surprise how much this book ended up being about quote, you know, nature. What did you think it was going to be about? <laughs> that old question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, because remember, it was a set. It was a, it was a set. You've written, you understand how these things yes. travel oh, around yes. and they spin around. I thought that the book was going to be, the book was just a series of essays that I had already written, explaining mm -hmm. really that scale matters. You know, I, th I think the, we've talked about this before where, you know, it was originally a series of blog posts, kind of like Alignment Matters. Right. It was but supposed to be the kind of bookend piece. Yeah. But it was there. Those articles in particular were really about like, hey, we're kind of looking at a narrow point of view when we're looking at this. Like I had written, I had done a dissection of an orange and mm -hmm dissected it because the pictures were amazing, but really sh like show like, here's a whole orange. But when you take this off, like, oh, here's the whole orange, but the whole orange is made of these pieces, but this orange slice is made out of these pieces. And like, you just kept getting smaller and smaller. So I had to do a lot of explaining about scale and how things changed when you were looking at a single piece of them versus something more integrated. That's what those blog posts were about. And as I said before, I didn't really particularly see a theme other than, hey, you know, models get more complex. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't really tied it to movement yet. So uh, I didn't even really know that movement matters. I mean, movement matters, the name, they come after. Like, you name a book at the end, right? Like, you don't even, yeah. you don't think of a title and be like, I'm going to write a book about this. You're just writing. It's, it's a very, I mean, now I realize like, oh, this is art. Like, this is a, <laughs> you don't know what the tapestry is going to end up looking like. And so I thought I was going to write a book. I knew it was going to be about movement. And I thought it was going to be about understanding that the scale of movement matters when considering it. But that was about it. I didn't realize the role that that nature would play in the book. So how did that happen, I guess? How did you come to understand that, for you at least, in what you wanted to articulate, nature seems inextricably bound with movement? Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm like talking about multitasking. I'm thinking as I'm listening to you because I'm still I'm still thinking of your last question. So I think the way you know, I talk about natural movement and like so the, the conversation goes, what do you do? You know, like, oh, I, I kind of think about and write about and teach natural movement. Well, what's natural movement? And the, the quick answer is like, oh, natural movements are all those movements we would do were we still living in nature. You know, and most people, mm -hmm. you know, like run, like sprinting or walking long distances or crawling or climbing and, you know, walking on varied surfaces. Like that's kind of like the nutshell of it. But there was an article. And so this is kind of the evolution of this 
idea. There, you know, I synthesize pieces that are sometimes really far apart in in time for me. But that mm-hmm. piece that I held from two years ago when combined with something new synthesizes and then I'm able to leap forward pretty quickly because it, maybe it was like an open-ended question or whatever. So I remember reading an article that Erwan LaCour wrote. I don't even remember what it was about. Erwan LaCour started MoveNet. And it was just a, it was about talking about fitness that didn't look like your same kind of rigid fitness, you know, that he was at his retreats, he was teaching crawling. And there, there was this picture of this whole group of people. I think they were crawling uphill. And I don't, I mean, they looked like they were going crawling for a mile, you know, like they were doing this thing. <laughs> the part that stuck out to me was this comment of, you know, someone saying like, that's great, but that's not like, we don't we don't need to crawl anymore. You know, like we, we've already changed, like we're up right now. There's no reason to go back and practice quadruped or less evolved forms of us movement. Uh That was the sentiment of the comment. I have stopped reading comments since then. Just kidding. But like, like, so I, I was just like, you know, like you just kind of picking things. And like, for some reason, I'm a firm believer that as you read through things in the world, the parts that you need to know your very, wise brain pulls them out for you and just sets them there in front of you like Mm -hmm. a banner. Mm -hmm. So I just have lots of those that are just floating around. But then maybe, oh gosh, maybe like three years later is when I found out about conflict minerals. Uh Do you know what conflict minerals are? Mm -hmm. They're the things that are in our smartphones and devices and things with batteries and wars are fought over them in places far away. Yes. I read a small article on conflict. I was I was sitting in a Whole Foods, like, to use the bathroom, I remember. And, like, we, we came in, and we rushed in, and, like, and it was sitting there folded up. This It was a USA Today. I feel like I have to disclaim while I was reading it. It was a USA Today. <laughs> and the article was folded open to this tiny thing on conflict minerals. And I had never heard of it. Mm. And as I'm reading through it, this the fact that, that these wars in these places were waged, like that's how it was presented. These wars are waged over these minerals that in some locations are like, have become like basic essentials for every household member. And yet there are these things that kind of like a blood diamond, it's essentially Mm -hmm. like a blood diamond, but it's a, it's a mineral. Yeah. So they're likened to that. And I was like, what? No way. Like, I just, I couldn't believe that it would be in this tiny, to me, that kind of stuff is front, it is always should be front lines news. I was very naive at the time. And I was like, well, why wouldn't this be on the headline? Like, I, cause I mean, surely everyone's going to not want to be participating in this. So I did a little bit more research into it and found that, yes, these, you know, the wars and these situations were horrible, but like it, inside of that circle were the fact that the labor of the people actually having to get them were essentially crawling <laughs> mm. the bulk of the day and, and and mining by hand and digging around in forced, you know, often slave conditions, children, you know, six years old. Like, and so, so, you know, that had like, that had one, of course, effect on me personally, but was, you know, unrelated to my job as teaching natural movement. Mm. But then the more I thought about those two things side by side, or the more my brain worked on them, or however this whole thing works, was like, okay, 
the fact that we're not crawling is not because our like our bodies don't need it anymore or don't need it anymore because like there are human beings right now who are actually crawling you know hours a day for these things that we all need for the necessity so i think i just started to work on it from that going okay yes these are moves these these are moves they're not they're, they're not the sexy like hunter gatherer moves because those are often presented as like run jump sprint you know they're clean yeah. they're not the gatherer moves so yeah. the gatherer moves i think with move your dna i was like okay all those like run jump sprint things that are you know what we are trying to like call the full spectrum of natural movements are really on the back of squatting birthing pounding mashing nursing you know like all mm -hmm. these less sexier or certainly less fitnessy but like the base of those is huge and so i just realized no there are humans all over right now doing these so-called extinct movements but the group of them who perceives them as extinct are the people who've outsourced them right. who you know so like it all started to like come in and then i started to think about food and then i started to think about okay yeah, like these are all moves that I myself would have to do for my survival if someone else wasn't doing them. And then then I understood nature in a like then the nature thing started to come in because you're lot you're just starting to think like what are the other elements? You know, it's it's hard to model things like natural movement because you can't perceive all the movement that's required. But you know, in this book I added temperature and mm -hmm. and and breastfeeding, you know, and things that I had alluded to in Move Your DNA, but like really tried to, to flesh out here to say like, here's why talking, chewing, you know, like we're now we're at the, like, those are like even less sexier than the other ones. <laughs> they're just, they seem, they're so taken for granted. So that's how that kind of came to be. So nature, gosh, then it was like, it was like human nature. And then it was but what is nature? You know, because if you're writing and you're using a word, I learned in second grade, you should look it up to make sure right. like when you do. So I was like, well, what is nature? When I was trying to clarify some things, clarify some things in biology, talked to a lot of different people and was surprised just to hear the for people who hold the same level of education within a field, how wildly varying their ideas were and this to go, wow, this whole thing is way more malleable than I thought. You know, again, that's just being naive to the idea that, you know, we have lots of boxes around things, you know, or like a box of this means this definition and a box of that means this definition, but everything's like pretty malleable. And so, I mean, that's kind of like a long way around nature, but that's <laughs> nature was the overall theme. Nature was the stopping point. I'm like, okay, I, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, how are humans in nature? What is nature? And then in getting that point, I feel like that then became a huge portion of the book, if if not the the main thread or the main vein, mm -hmm. if you if you will, certainly. Yeah, it's absolutely the underpinning. And I'm sort of interested in where we've ended up because, you, you know, you definitely you write about everything is nature. We are part of nature. But you also, you know, you do sort of have to make that distinction in the book that that humans, especially in the West, are largely living outside, you know, what we what we tend to think of as nature. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I mean, you have to make that dis- distinction, I guess, in order to to really dig into the ideas that you're digging into. Well, I mean, I was doing a an interview, and you know, someone had said that's where I kind of first tuned into like, well, everything is nature. I mean, like how like you have to define nature by something, and so I think a lot of times nature is defined, you know, it's like some people define nature as green spaces. If there are trees there, it's naturey. or if there's a lake, it's a nature. So it's like how it looks. Yeah. Right. You know, and then some people define nature by the fact that it's been broken down and reassembled makes it less naturey. right? If it's Mm -hmm. intact with how the earth produced it without intervention, it's nature. And if it's been broken down and reassembled, it's not nature. Right. A cultivated garden. Yes. Right. Or like, a, you know, like a a house is not nature, even though it's made out of things from nature. Right. But if we're talking about a beaver's dam, like, so I was actually in an interview that never got released because I'm sure that <laughs> the agenda that they are interviewing me for was not served by this, like, well, but then again, like I actually had this thinking as, as people know, listening, I tend to, I process verbally and Q and A is my number one way of processing. So thank yeah. you for anyone who's ever asked a question. I just like spat out in the middle of a very, <laughs> I really want to say what the source was. And I was like, well, but really by that definition, a beaver dam is not nature. And then because it's, you know, things that are broken down, chewed down, taken down, you know, and like put up into something new, a new structure that the earth did not spring forth from the earth. So we consider a certain amount of processing to be natural. And at the end, like when I went to actually look up all the definitions, it was like, it's simply that humans do it. Right. Humans do it, not natural, you know, if, if they are creating or breaking down. And then I was like, okay, well, that's not. From a mathematics, for in biology, that could be fine. But it, from a mathematical perspective, it's way too loose. So okay. then I started to go, okay, well, that's, but we would consider, you know, birthing a natural process. Like I had to like figure out what the actual breakdown was. Because obviously that humans do it does not make it natural or unnatural. And then I started to go, well, obviously everything's scalable. And we talked about this before. So like if you you know, hunt a deer yeah, and process the deer and the movement nourishes you in processing it. The foods, you can subsist. Your family is nourished by it. And you take that hide and you process it into shoes that cover your feet. Those shoes are a technology, right? That's the Mm, same mm -hmm. thing as a beaver dam. And I think there's a scale at which a lot of people would say, well, that's natural, right there. The thing that just happened right there, that's nature. That's closer to what a beaver does making a dam than, you know, building a hotel in Cancun. Or let's just keep it to make easy or Or to like make a pair of shoes, like to make me going to the mall and buying a pair of shoes. Yes. Or like even to say the manufacturer, like the manufacturing standpoint of those shoes. So like eventually the way I could make sense of it with my brain that has to like make sure that it's as like not squishy, like it's got to be like, there's got to be some boundaries around definitions, like for math, for mathematics, for my sake, to like be able to assign something to a category. It was about the amount of, 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 of wake of destruction, how many things were displaced because of it, you know, and my definition might change over time. But right now that's how I'm really thinking about it. It's like, 
you walking around outside and getting the deer and getting the thing da, 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 is different than, you know, an entire factory that's harvesting. And it's not even like we could scale it down to a single pair of shoes. Right. You would see maybe that the displacement of the earth took place in 17 different places mm-hmm. and involved 13 extra people like right this where the scale of agitation is a yeah. lot larger. There was a direct exchange between a few living things and, and the footprint. So that's what I started talking about. Like it's kind we are kind of understand footprints, the footprint of that, of that shoe ironically yes. is smaller than the footprint of the other shoe. So it had to do more with a rate and then everyone wants to assign, you know, usually a, a good, bad. And I try to say, like, I don't know if there are any good or bads because this might just be the nature of humans, like, to mm-hmm. create and create and create and create. I've seen kids in Lego. Like, I can see that <laughs> if you give them things that just have, like, if you can break things down into regular shape, they can create new things. So it's kind of hard to talk about what's natural or not natural. This is obviously natural. But what happens... So then I had to start talking about it as a response and sustainability. It's like, okay, well, we can all we can say that this is all natural that's happening. Now, now we can talk though, if it's all natural, that must mean it's all good in the way that mm-hmm. we use the term. So then how do we make choices? Because obviously there's something that we're after and and in some cases it could be your personal well-being that is a uh, scalable for you in other cases it could be the fact that other people are involved that would influence you to want to scale it or maybe it's the ecosystem that you would want to minimize you know you, the impact of of what you're fashioning or what you're requiring being fashioned and so that's what that's what i had to do in in movement matters to be able to talk about movement still as something that a human needs whether or not they're doing right. it themselves or yeah. someone else is doing it on their half they require movement to survive right like that it that it is part of their anatomy if you will it's part of my anatomy if you will yeah somebody somewhere has got to move for you so you yeah or or, or you've literally move. or you've got to move and sometimes yeah. other people move you i mean there are certainly those situations and we all have phases within our life where other people moving us is part of our ecosystem and yep. part of theirs. So yep. that is, you know, so it's, it's just, it got really big, really fast. It yeah, went from like calf stretch to nature, you know, it was like, <laughs> wow, that's why it's been my most challenging book because I scaled it up pretty quickly, you know, yeah. because there wasn't really miniature books to write in between. I don't think. No, no, you needed to go. You needed to get, Kind of go all into it. Sure. It, listen, here's my thing, though, Katie. So I am a city girl, like through and through. I don't, I don't like camping. I'm even picky about the kinds of cabins that I will stay in. I don't like things that are gooey or creepy crawly. I don't want them touching me. And my main experience with wild animals is a seagull trying to take a sandwich out of my hands at Center Island, an amusement park I used to go to, and now figuring out how to keep raccoons out of my compost bins. So I read Movement Matters. I see the emphasis on time in nature, mm-hmm. the nutrients that brings, both in the food you might forage out there, but also the other nutrients like texture and community and, and plain old nature itself. And so I wonder, like, am I doing it wrong? Can I continue to have a, a mostly arm's length relationship with what we think of as classic nature and still get what Movement Matters is trying to tell me? Well, I think you can understand the ideas 
Certainly in the book. That's what you mean by get. I think that I, I think that you can get the ideas without actually having to be in nature. Is that what you meant by get though? I guess so, but not really. More than that. Like yes. can I take it on or do I have and, to get over my slight nature aversion? Well, you know, it depends on what your goal is. Mm. It depends on the print that you want to live by. So I I mean the answer for everyone is it it just depends on what what you want. I'm trying to think like you know, you said your nature girl through and through, and I would wager a that city girl. A, I mean, I'm sorry, a city girl, a city girl through and through, because you've been a city girl through and through. Yeah, that your right. tolerance, you just have an intolerance to nature because you've had a lack of exposure to it. You're not, you're not accustomed to the way that those ways. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens when you have long mega doses of that non-traditional nature, or you've gone for a long time without it. I mean, to me, it all seems like it's like palate. You know, Mm -hmm. if you've ever gone to another country, you might have an aversion to that food. And it's like the tastes are using a different part of your body than normal. The textures are using, they're using your body. So I keep trying to filter everything to like our perceived aversions to whatever is often just adaptations. Like your aversion might be to the fact that you don't feel comfortable in it. You don't feel good in it. And that's all I offer are ways to help you develop the anatomy to be functional, F-U-N, fun and functional in nature. That bo- that It's functional. Like, but, but I don't know. I mean, the shorter answer is I don't know if, I don't know if you will need it. <laughs> Are you still <laughs> laughing at the fun joke? I mean, that was extraordinary, and I appreciate it deeply. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's like not only that, like that you don't that that you're not only capable in it that you enjoy it, but at the same time, we have and we have an aversion to discomfort right now that I don't right. think is helping us out anyway. Like we really have this belief that we're supposed to feel good or neutral all the time. That right, feeling right. badly. Or being wet or cold, scratches or paint. Like it's you see it with kids all the time. Like that, that we're supposed to feel comfortable. Like it's just a, it's a very strange perception that this is something that is kind of like that we're owed to it. You know, which is different than uh, suffering, right? But like just basic comfort, like like that. You know, and and that we shouldn't have to put forth any real work to be able to mm. get that. You know, so there's a kind of adaptation. That I could seek. I could be more comfortable so. or be yeah. less bothered by being uncomfortable. Yeah, when but eventually. are biting me and it's a little cold and sticky. Right, right. And ironically, I think that with physical adaptation, you actually become less bothered by those because their inputs are, are less to you. You uh-huh. know, it's like, it's like you're being inoculized by nature, like that's like that's really the situation that we have. Like we no longer tolerate human non-human interactions. We spend right. the bulk of our time stopping those interactions. We don't want to touch. I mean like the the people, you know, like I can I get so many comments and a lot of them are like, "But what if I touch stinging nettle?" <laughs> and it's like, well, "Well, right now what that just tells me is that your interaction with those plants is so little." that your reactions are very high. Right. 
And then that opens up the next discussion is like, are our reactions extremely high simply because we've missed copious, low dose scenarios? And so that is, though, I, you know, I could write, I think that over time, if I wanted to write endless books, which I don't, I think people can <laughs> scale this idea themselves, is what we might have is just, like, it's the same thing. Like, I don't want to do a backflip. My niece yeah. wants to do a backflip all day long, but I see that I have no interest yeah. in doing a backflip. When I think about, like, all the mobilities of all these little parts, like, I just don't have any interest in it. It doesn't fit into my life. So I can get that, but I could very easily create a program to successfully get myself to be able to do that. I have right. 100% confidence that, that could happen and that I could create a movement program to really get me to be able to accomplish almost any physical feat. Certainly there are limits to my capacity, but I think that there's a ton that I could be doing that if I wanted to be doing, I could create the training program for to be able to do it. And I would have to completely readjust my life to be able to get the frequencies. So it wouldn't be just a program. It would be a lifestyle overhaul to allow for the period of time necessary to train for it. I could write, and I'm just thinking of the questions. They're like, I'm scared (laughs) of X, Y, and Z. And it's like, absolutely. And I believe that your fears and resistances are probably your deepest wisdom, knowing that you're not ready for that interaction because you couldn't facilitate it with your body so to create a so it would have a it would have a thousand steps of how to be more comfortable in nature and I think I could do it I mean I think maybe in my next book maybe I'll write a hundred ways because you know I'm biased and that I don't have that particular aversion anymore but I took myself through maybe hundreds of unnoticeable steps to me just being around other people who are comfortable they make you more comfortable because they they push you on your edge. WAS, which is a wilderness adventure school, Donaga Markagar, we're publishing her book. She, you know, went from teenager to carnivore tracker. I mean, she gained skill. But I think the way that knowledge hounds, like me, maybe you, were used to thinking of learning as like that you sit and read and like facts are stuffed into your head and that's yeah. how you know that you know it. Right. Where like knowledge that's functioning, you know, in the universe has really more related to do with like your ability to physically embody it, uh-huh. you know, like that, that you can do it or do the thing. And so our way of learning about nature is sitting in school and being shown pictures of all these things and aren't these learning things the Latin amazing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, which is yeah. really just a lot, which is just a lesson in the mindset of the people who created them and how they viewed them. Like that's a more of like an anthropology lesson and language lesson and right. about humans. And it is about the thing. That being said, you can see with the whole vitamin nature and the kids in nature movement that they're really trying to say like, you have to expose your children regularly to nature if you want them to have a relationship with it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like a language. You have to have early exposure to be fluent in something later on. It's it's all the same things we understand. So it'd be just like I, I would assume. Did you get a lot of nature as a kid or no? Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in the suburbs with my nose in a book. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like me. Very similar to me. So maybe like me, you know, I had to like write my process of like, oh, that's what nature is. Oh. <laughs> you know, like it was just because I just had a bunch of facts in my mind and no 
physical experience, like moving my body on the thing. But we started, I started with the feet. I started with the feet because of a biomechanical interest. Uh But over time it converted into, oh, I know nature with my feet now. We've met. I've responded. I'm in a more successful relationship now. Like I see thistle in the same way that I can view my husband. It's something that has to be negotiated. I don't always have the skills, but in digging in sometimes, like I'm able to learn something that makes that next interaction better. So that's all I'm saying with Movement Matters is your physical body has the capacity to improve in some way its relationship with the body and all of the other things that live around you that are alive and living and their life depends on your skills and your skills depend on their lives. Like you are in a relationship, but you might not have noticed because someone else is digging through nature on your behalf. Someone Mm. else's relationship, someone else has been communicating with the earth for you so that you can continue to sit in and, and not engage. That's a very long answer to your question, but I think you would find that while honoring your city girl and loving her and visiting her most of the time that you would probably fall in love with your nature girl. Mm. And you would find that your nature girl was getting more done on the list of the things that city girl was trying to do. Well, that speaks right to my Virgo heart. (laughs) Why? What is that? What's Virgo about? Oh, I just like to get things done. So if I could be more. Yes. Okay, well, that's that's what Stack Your Life is. I mean, this is the <laughs> ultimate experiment for you because it means that, like, every minute that you're, like, doing the thing, you're crossing off, like, eight things at a time. Oh, because glorious. And that's what that's why Movement Matters was trying to, like, I'm trying to show that this is, you want to save money? There you go. You want to right. ha- reduce your carbon footprint? There you go. Do you want to serve social justice issues more, here you go. You just right. want to move more of your body, here you go. Like I, You want to be in your community more, it's right there. Exactly. You, you want to yeah. help others, you need help, here you go. Like it, it was just kind of a way of saying in its, natural, in, in, its, in its natural state, like that's what permaculture is. Permaculture mm-hmm. is going, hey, we broke this all down because we didn't really know what was happening yet, but through exposed periods of time to this way, we found that actually putting back some of the natural systems was more efficient and gave us more diversity in the things that we wanted. So it is like the movement permaculture mm. movement. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm totally convinced by that. So so give me a move that I can use to get my nature on, Katie. Oh, go sit outside. No oh, towel, so no nothing on the ground on something that you think is dirty. You cannot yeah. do gooey. If you don't feel gooey, you don't have to do gooey. And and if really truly the aversion, it's like the dirt, and you would and then maybe put a towel down. Like this is how you scale the exercise. You scale the exercise by saying, "I just can't do the gooey," but I'll put right. I'll put a blanket down, and then you make it thinner so that the sticks and the things poke through you, and then you just look at it, right? And then and then you like maybe just peel back the blanket towards you a little bit, so just your arm is on there, and then you just kind of lean to the right or to the left. Like now you're basically doing what you did with, you know, yoga tuna balls or fascia release, you know, or, or rubbing texture in, but you're just letting the, the, the balls are like the tiny acorns that are underneath your tree. And you're going, this is a relationship and my, and I can't tolerate it right now. Like I, I don't feel that I can yield into this information. I'm afraid of this information. You know, you just watch all that come up 
let it go, and then you just do it again. And then maybe you let your foot go out. You know, like our soles of our feet are safe, seem safer because mm. they're far away and like that skin is obviously stronger. So someday we can do the foot callus show is really the butt callus show, which is really the, the <laughs> knee callus show, which is really that all of your skin could be stimulated to develop just a little bit more. So anyway, so that's your exercise. I will practice diligently. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. We will talk a lot more about Movement Matters coming up on Katie Says because there is so much to talk about with this book. Uh, If you don't have a copy or you haven't read it, you can find one at nutritiousmovement.com. Wherever fine books are sold, you can ask your library to order it in if that's how you prefer to get them. Um, You can find an ebook. You can find an audio book. Katie, New Zealand, you're going there. Yeah. <laughs> doing a book signing and a Q&A at Time Out Bookstore in Auckland on December 9th. And are there other places people can find you between now and then? I'm going to do another event in New Zealand also on the 9th in the day of the 9th. I'm going okay. to be teaching a 3-hour workshop. Look on my if you go to nutritiousmovement.com, go to our calendar and then there's a button that's, you know, my live events, click on that and that'll show you everything that I'm doing while I'm in New Zealand. And I believe there's going to be one more. We have like a potential movement permaculture retreat awesome. in that progress. So I think that's going to happen. And those will be again in December because that's how long I'll be in New Zealand. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. And you're going to do a little bit of relaxing, aren't you, Katie? Yes. I, I put everything kind of on the beginning and the end. I put everything in the Good. beginning and the end in the middle I'm going to be working with some really cool people while I'm there and, you know, just engaging in the landscapes, try to try to try to be in a relationship with New Zealand and her peoples, my family, and uh, try to do some service while I'm there, certainly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it all around. We'll see. I don't even care about what happens to the fruit when I come back. It's going to be great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks, Steph. I'm Stephanie Doma. Thanks for listening to Between the Lines on the Katie Says Podcast. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.